Welcome to the Ageist Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ageist Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey guys, it is Lou here from Aegis Comics of Alaska, Alaska's comic book shop, and the Aegis Comics podcast, and I am joined by Nazrik Ney. Hello everybody. And he is a dear friend of mine, I would uh, I would consider him family, and uh, we served as troopers together, and today's topic, uh, although I really appreciate seeing you, because uh, it has been a while since I've seen you, mm-hmm. uh, but it is going to be kind of a... A very serious topic, but I think that you're the appropriate person and uh, one of the uh, experts in this topic, uh, which is why Alaska natives are deprived of public safety in the state of Alaska. And uh, I'll be quoting some facts. Obviously, we'll have a discussion, Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, I just want you to know that um, I have you here because I enjoy enjoy and respect your company and i think uh people would like to see your reaction to this information that you know you you've witnessed a lot of this stuff that i'm going to be talking about so i hope that you're not too surprised by a lot of the stuff that we talk about uh nazrick uh just recently retired from alaska state troopers he uh correct me if i'm wrong you're originally from norvik yes norvik and uh the son of a trooper yes and uh uh I mean, uh, an awesome career. Otherwise, uh, 20-plus years as an Alaska State Trooper protecting Western Alaska, dedicating your life to to that uniform, that badge, and the, the safety of the public at, at large, irregardless of race, religion, or anything else. And uh, um, I know that you were... Uh, you started off on patrol. You served uh, on the... When I met you, I believe you were on the narcotics team, and then uh, yes. uh, at one point uh, you went to Anchorage uh, support unit, and you've been all over the state investigating all kinds of complex crimes and cases and whatnot. Uh, uh, is there anything I left out from your awesome resume? Um, I uh, started out as a Katsubi police officer in 1994 oh, wow. in, in my home area where I grew up, and um and I served there for two years, um, and then um, I went to the North Slope Borough, um, where I served in Point Hope for a year, and then Barrow for a year before being hired as a state trooper in 1998. Oh, wow. So you've been all over, all over. A little bit. Yeah, so uh, so you've gotten to see different agencies and how they operate, too, though. Yes. So um, you also were like a, a major component of the of the VPSO program, the Village Public Safety Officer program, weren't you, in terms of contributing to it? Uh, There there was a period of time where I was the assigned um, statewide support trooper to the uh, VPSO program across Alaska, mentoring troopers and um, aiding in their training. Okay. And uh, uh, that was mentoring uh, VPSOs as well, I'm sorry, mentoring VPSOs, I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, we, we... we consider them like troopers without guns, essentially. I mean, although, at least on, in the field we do, uh, at command and headquarters, that's a whole different imagery, and uh, we'll, we'll be addressing some of that. But 
I think a lot of people, let's dive right into it, you know, uh, a lot of people would be shocked as to some of the things that prevent actual public safety in the villages. You know, a lot of it is a lack of leadership, uh, mismanagement of budgets, just atrocious mismanagement. You know, uh, one of the things that I, uh, I wanted to conclude the last podcast real quick, uh, which feeds into the topic of this podcast 100%, is that, you know, unfortunately, when you have uh, a management staff that doesn't embrace leadership principles, but is charged with the protection of all of Western Alaska, every, every person in Alaska, including the Alaska Natives that make up 16% of the population and are the founding residents of this of this great state um i think you end up with a uh, a recipe for disaster when you have the chung chans and the barry wilson's and the hans brinkies and the britney patskies and all of their uh uh, uh, uh what, what it's not a sidekick it's essentially their henchmen right you know every every villain has a henchman and uh, a lot of the people that enabled their behavior that robbed Alaskans of protection. I mean, their deputy commanders, you know, for Hans Brinke, it was Rob French who covered up all kinds of foul stuff for, for Brinke. You know, uh, here's a guy who became colonel, right? This is, this is, this is a fact. Okay. So here's a guy who ends up becoming charged with the protection of every citizen in the state of Alaska. He is charged with leading the troopers, investigators, fire marshals, CSOs, uh, all charged with the invest... Uh, well, that's not true. Uh, Hans wasn't in charge of uh, fire marshals, but he's in charge of CSOs and Alaska State Troopers and the investigators charged with uh, investigating crimes and keeping people safe. But yet, there was no policing on his part. You know, I one of the reasons that I filed my lawsuit was for whistleblower. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just sexual misconduct that I reported him for, but I actually communicated directly with Walt Monaghan. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. So Hans Brinke, his, his, the mother of his children, um, uh, died here in the in the Matsu Valley. I don't know if you knew this or not, but she died, right? But what a lot of people don't know, which are actual facts to that case, is that so she was the estranged uh, baby's mom of Hans Brinke's children. And Hans, unfortunately, uh, he was trying to promote at all costs because he's a very antisocial person, uh, very... Uh, you know, uh, it's all about him. It's always been all about him. It's always been about his legacy, about his rodeo, uh, his rodeo reputation, you know. Uh, and he mentored people like Garrett Willis, who uh, just recently uh, was incarcerated for uh, assault on multiple uh, female lovers of his, which is interesting because he was appointed to that marshal task force and was protected by Brinke. As a matter of fact, if you look in the criminal complaint, you'll see where uh, those victims had reported the misconduct to Brinke and Brinke covered it up. So 
let's look at Brinky and his baby's mama. So what ends up happening is uh, he's trying to promote all these years. And he knows that he can't promote under administrations where troopers go up the ranks and become, you know, uh, directors and commissioners because they all know him and they all know the things that he's done and his shortfalls and his lack of leadership. So him and people like Wilson tend to wait until an outsider gets into that position that doesn't know enough about them. And they can groom them and, and manipulate them to trusting that they, they're the, the right person for the job. So anyway, uh, unfortunately, this, this poor woman was struggling with all kinds of demons. And uh, she would be regularly called in for uh, uh, DUIs. I don't know if you knew this or not. She'd be get, she would get called in for ready, ready reports on the regular, which is report every drunk driver immediately. People call up, hey... We see this woman driving erratically, da-da-da. Well, he was the commander at the time and uh, uh, out here in the valley. And uh, on at least one instance where, in one case, it was a trooper, Joel Miner, pulls over uh, 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 Brinky's woman. And he's investigating her for a ready report. He's getting ready to conduct his uh, field sobriety test, the whole nine. And Brinky calls him and says, listen, that's my wife, or excuse me, that's the mother of my children. She's going through some issues. I need you to let her go. Now, Miner, who needs this career, he was new to the department at the time. He had just transferred over from APD. He's between a rock and a hard place. He can't, it's not like he can just go back to APD. He's got to, you know, he's new. He's got to keep his job. And now he's got this commander calling him up. So Miner lets her go. And this was a continuous theme where the deputy commander, Rob French, would cover up for, you know, these types of calls and everything else. None of this should be a surprise to everyone. You know, you guys see it in the movies and stuff. You just don't expect it to happen, you know, in Alaska. Well, how do I get involved is <clears throat> I catch I catch wind that, oh, my God, she just, air quotes, committed suicide. Brinky was the first on scene to her death. He's the one who reported it. He calls dispatch and tells them, I just got here. I was checking on her. It looks like she has uh, shot herself in the face. I cleared the weapon, i.e. I, I manipulated the, the gun that she shot herself with which means his fingerprints are going to be all over it. I've done the heroic thing of making all this secure. I need you to send help. They dispatch, uh, uh, at that time, Trooper Marcos, who's no longer with the department. He works for Palmer PD. Marcos is on his way to the call, because remember, what is it? All suicides are considered homicide until we prove it otherwise, right? Marcos is on his way, gets called, and told by dispatch, eh, we don't need you. Brinky has handpicked who's coming out to the call. Handpicked to the call. It gets ruled a suicide. It is investigated at his level. That should have been Department of Justice. It should have been a neutral department that investigated that. Especially when there's a detachment commander involved in the shooting. And by the way, the reason this should be suspect is 
How many females do you know in your time, and not, not considering national trends, how many women do you know that you responded to that shot themselves in the face for suicide? How many women shoot themselves in the face? I haven't seen that myself. They don't do it. The nas- that, now, if we go back to the national trend, national trend says that's not a thing. It rarely ever happened. A woman wouldn't shoot herself in the face. That's not a thing they do. Could he have gotten away with murder? We'll never know. Because uh, when my attorneys requested Freedom of Information Act on that report, crickets, they refused to provide it. These are the people that are now holding others accountable for protecting, air quotes, people in Western Alaska. These are the people managing budgets in Alaska. And then they surround themselves and they mentor dishonest people under them. As an example, we look at uh, uh, Chung Chan, and everyone has a, uh, a sidekick, right? Or a, a, uh, villains have a, a, you know, their, their henchmen, right? Well, after my shooting and uh, my injuries sustained with Mary Tilden out in Dillingham, we had uh, an email that went to uh, uh, to Chan. Uh, excuse me, that was sent out. Uh, this is an email between Chan and the ADA here, right? And uh, essentially, they were dismissing all the charges. So she tells Chan, "Hey, listen." I believe now that the community of Dillingham thinks that the DA office is soft on defendants who try to kill troopers. I said we screened out the assault case based on the evidence. I told the court that all who spoke and asked the court to reject the deal do not know all of the evidence. And it, it's kind of cut off, but she says I also told them that, you know, uh, she, uh, she, she had acquired all the evidence from Chan and Bartlett and da-da-da. It turns out that that was a lie because Chan and them had concealed like the the video, the cell phone video, and all kinds of stuff, right? So Chan's sidekick Scott Bartlett he responds. Let me see if I, I I'll bring it up here. So I have here. This is the response of a fellow Alaska State Trooper, an investigator who works at. ABI and is now a lieutenant, by the way, and uh, uh, which I find interesting because this is a guy who refused to go out to Western Alaska. I told him when I first met him because he was the class after me. I said, "Are you not going to Western Alaska? That's like the thing." He's like, "There's no way I'm going out there." He's like, "I'm staying in Anchorage." He says, "I'm going to hide. I'm going to avoid getting forced. There's no way I'm going out there." That's the mentality. That's what we're recruiting, right? So his response to that email chain is, that's too bad. I'm glad they took the black eye for us because Lou and EK, who was the other trooper, would have given us one in court. What type of response is that? <laughs> oh, and here's the rest of it. Uh, uh, it says, uh, I believe now that the community of Dillingham thinks uh, the DA office is soft on defendants who try to kill troopers. I said we screened out the assault 
cases based on the evidence. I told the court that all who spoke and asked the court to reject the deal do not know all the evidence. I also told the court that we were not seeking restitution. Then the Evis emailed me a restitution email that he copied to a lot of other people, but not you. So I will forward that email to you right after I send this email. Also today in court, Nieva said he injured his elbow when he jumped out of the defendant's way. And Chan, thanks for the heads up. But I, I didn't get a chance to listen in. How did it go? Mm. You know, that's Chad's response, right? So then, uh, um, Pamela, who is now the ADA who got terminated, she is now super freaking out. And uh, let me see if I have that here that I can bring that up on the screen. Yep. Here's the email where she's like completely freaking out now. She's like, sentencing this morning. Are you listening? Nieves spoke like a victim. Then Trooper uh, Eastwood Colazar and Corporal Cockrell, because she didn't know that it was Colonel Cockrell. Mm. She didn't even know his rank. She didn't know that was the director of the Alaska State Troopers. Both asked the court to reject the negotiated plea to the eluding. Courtroom is full, and all are making it seem as if we are giving defendants a break in endangering law enforcement. That would seem pretty accurate to me. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so, uh, this is, if you're asking why we can't get troopers to perform their duties out in western Alaska is because troopers are aware that this kind of stuff is happening. And they're also aware that today's worst player, your Chung Changs, your Scott Bartlett's, your uh, Barry Wilson's, and his sidekick, Rick Roberts, these guys are all potentially promoting into higher ranks and can make everyone's life extremely difficult. As an example, you know, uh, we look at when I requested, uh, uh, he was asking me why I wasn't traveling into Anchorage because they wanted to meet with me, right? Uh, and I turned around and I let them know, look, uh, we're overworked right now. And in this particular case, I, I, I used you as the example. So in this email here, and let me uh, I'll bring that up here. Let me find that here. So at the time, I told him, look, um, I'm slammed because <coughs> I, you know, I haven't been able to schedule things that they want me to schedule because uh, we're completely overtasked, right? And here we go. It says, uh, I respond. I say, hey, we didn't have the prisoners identified. And quite frankly, I've been slammed because he wanted me. So the way they use the way the department gets around travel budgets so that they can get people to and from places is they use prisoner transports. I think you're well aware of that. <laughs> so if they if we can get somebody in custody that we then have to transport to, let's say, Anchorage to the Anchorage jail. All we have to do then is make sure we have their arrest, secure the flight, and escort that person to Anchorage. And then the flight doesn't go on the Department of Public Safety budget. It goes out of the Department of Corrections budget. Correct. And which is just a workaround where one commissioner is passing their debt on to another commissioner when, in fact, that's not, that's not 
necessarily how things should be working, right? Because it, it almost incentivizes someone to, to, to push the court to get someone transported to Anchorage. I, I think there might be a, this might be a splitting of hairs, but um, DPS does pay for prisoner trans- travel prior to a certain point in the judicial That's process. correct. That's correct. But in this case, it yeah, if they're after, so it's only uh, for the uh, initial hearing, uh, essentially like the bail hearing, you know, the, the, the preliminary. Everything after that is paid for by Department of Corrections. So, like, I bring them in uh, for that initial hearing with the court to get their bail assigned, all that other stuff. Right after that point, the Department of Corrections has to take over for all their uh, for all their travel. It might be only after sentencing. It's prior to it's pre sentencing. It? Yeah, it's pre sentencing. Yeah, but irregardless, they're trying to get me to in the middle of this insane schedule. They're trying to get me to uh, uh, bring this uh, to find a prisoner, find a prisoner, and get down here because we want to talk to you. At no time do they tell me that it's a formal conversation or anything, right? Uh, they tell me, no, no, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not a big deal. We just need you to come down here. Well, I tell them, well, I haven't been able to. We haven't been able to identify a, a prisoner. I'm currently at the office after concluding a two-hour meeting with the hospital leadership on why they were refusing to allow us to execute search warrants in the hospital. I have it resolved and briefing the ADA. Prior to that, I was dealing with VPSO issues. It was a three-hour meeting at a, a Bristol Bay Native Association. And then, additionally, I had a, a trooper who was having issues sending uh, his eval to me so that I could review it, get it signed, the whole nine. And then, uh, dealing with uh, Alaska wildlife troopers and local community about numerous reports of assaults on fishing vessels and on or near Equok that had previously gone unreported. Because that's what would happen out there. They'd be like, oh, well, why are we going to report this? They ain't going to do anything about it. All of a sudden, the guy's like in the hospital or sexually assaulted, and then they report it, right? So, and then I said, here's where you got involved. You know, I'm also trying to retask local troops with cases so that I can assist Trooper Ney in his 119 outstanding tasks. I am staying busy, not blowing off a quest from you to attend a chat or training that you have not revealed the nature of. And, you know, I don't know why you took so long, da da da, but what he doesn't know is that through a thing called discovery, I was able to get the other emails. And the other emails talk about, you know, uh, he's responding to Barry Wilson, his boss. Yes, Nay has a lot. He and I are working them. I have no idea what Lou thinks he is doing with Nay and his tasks. And then Wilson sigh. Guess we can make it formal in the morning and they uh uh has how many tasks and just by the way what that was referring to was uh if they're going to speak to me in a formal manner they have to allow me to contact the union and my Mm -hmm. attorney they never told me it was formal this is a secret conversation they had between the two of them so Mm -hmm. when i showed up and they started talking to me at at that point I didn't even have access to an attorney or anything else. This is the type of stuff they do, right? But we're addressing, in this case, with you, they knew that they were sending you, because I supervised you at the time through Dillingham. We kept sending you to all these cases 
that were complex felony cases. We weren't sending you to like these little, you know, somebody shoves someone cases. We were sending you to super complex cases. And instead of addressing that and trying to send other troopers to assist you or to take those cases, especially in areas that normally weren't even assigned to you, they were assigned to other troopers that were on vacation or something else. Instead of trying to lighten your workload, correct me if I'm wrong, they they sent your TDY to Palmer to the busiest post in the state of Alaska to pick up even more calls. Yeah, um, I'll put into context my assignment at that time. Um, mm-hmm. f- from about 2016 um, until 2019, um, I was the lone um, Anchorage Service Unit trooper. And as one trooper, when I did the math, um, I, I was actually covering the same area that was cur- previously covered by four troopers. So I was responsible for the western, I'm sorry, the eastern Bristol Bay area, which is the Iliamna side of Bristol Bay, and all of those villages, um, which previously had a trooper in Iliamna and Port Ellsworth, um, which no longer exist, neither of them. And in addition wow. to that, I was um, responsible for the entire Aleutian chain um, and responding to all of those villages along the chain. Um, and so as one trooper, um, I was doing the assignment of what had been four troopers' job before, and for that three-year period, it was me. And when I transferred out from that position, they started upping the manpower in that position again. So um, so, so I, um, at the time, it's fair to say that I was the single most tasked trooper in the state of Alaska. Um, the average trooper that works in the bush is assigned two villages um, or three villages, depending on how the math breaks down of number of troopers um, and villages that, that need uh, service. And um, as Nashirkne, I was responsible for 19 villages um, by myself. And... Uh for me, that's heartbreaking because when they did that, it was after they had promised the survivors of several fallen officers of VPSO, the families of troopers that had fallen on, in the line of duty, that they would never do that again. And then as soon as they had opportunity, they did it. Uh, I hold Captain Wilson good old Bowie, directly responsible for that, along with <coughs> Rick Roberts, who was mentored by uh, uh, Jabba the Hutt there, uh, uh, Dan Loudon, the 400-pound trooper com- uh, captain that stayed at headquarters for, what, 30-plus years, and dam- did more damage than good. And let me put that in context. Uh, and you can testify to this. One of the major reasons that the the that the Alaska Natives communities throughout the state are in such disarray and in lack of public safety is because there is no current 911 or radio communication systems in many of these communities. Um, That's an area where I don't have a lot of familiarity. This I know for a fact because I, I was stationed at headquarters and then I was part of these communications where I would be constantly dealing with Rockwell, who was the 911 coordinator, who answered directly to, at the time, was uh, Dan Loudon, who spent more time eating than actually 
doing his job. He actually, in the 30 years that he was at headquarters, he did more damage to the agency than any good. His job, because they, they couldn't let him command people anymore. He couldn't command operational units. I mean, when he, uh, he was relieved from the uh, judicial services unit that I supervised in Anchorage, uh, Anchorage JS, because he had 26 active employee grievances against him. He was just a horrible person, which is interesting because he was horrible because of his sluggardness. It wasn't because of, it wasn't like he was a actively a villain. He was just one of those people that had all this authority and experience and chose not to do anything with it. He just sat there and self-serving and got bigger and bigger. And instead of them putting the budget into providing nine one one and radio communications capabilities into these villages, which is a a right of a U.S. citizen. They chose to divert it to paying for his uh, special order gun belts. He shouldn't have even been in uniform. You know, they had to specially order his belts and his uniforms because he was essentially the size of three or four people. On top of that, they had to pay to switch out his steering wheel once a year because his assigned vehicle his buckle would wear out the 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 lower part of the steering wheel to the point that it would destroy the steering wheel these are all facts but yet this guy was in charge of ensuring that the 911 system communications uh that things that we needed in the field we received them so to put things in context so that the people listening to this understand if you're a native woman in a rural village right now at this moment you're getting your ass kicked you're getting strangled by uh, the father of your children your 8 year old kid picks up the phone needs to call for help right now the 8 year old kid has to dial a full 1-800 number to call emergency services to call a trooper they can't dial 911 in the village they have to dial a full 1-800 number you remember they used to have the 1-800 number posted at the at the native store and yes and and um as i mentioned i'm not familiar with the 911 status across alaska but <clears throat> i will say that as a trooper um i for, for the people that i served I, I gave them that 800 number um because because um, they didn't have access to a 911. I, I did give them that 800 number for years. Now, so you're, you're a witness to it. The, the right of people nationwide is to have access, easy access to public safety. That person is getting their ass kicked. They're about to die. Somebody jumps in, or maybe maybe it's them that is trying to make that last minute, that last phone call. You and I, we get the dial 911. Mm-hmm. Or a shortcut on our phone. And, and to add real quick to the the 800 number, I mean, it's been around for a long time. Um, and with the advent of most everybody having cell phones nowadays, mm-hmm. um, with the people that I served um, who were in a village and would have to wait for somebody to respond out, i.e. me. Or, yeah. Um, I would give them during for, for during off hours yeah 
a direct number to the dispatch, which may which may not be an eight hundred number. It would just be the right four five one number. Or so you were shining a turd. You were trying your best to to, to protect the people that you cared about for them to get help. That wasn't our job. There was people, the state and the federal government, charged the Department of Public Safety with giving them a nine one one system. Yeah, they didn't ask them to do it. They told them to. If you're suicidal right now and you need help right now, the nation has 811. You can dial 811, immediately connect it to a counselor. Alaska natives in rural Alaska do not have access to that because the Department of Public Safety spends more money on uniforms, cookouts, new furniture, treadmill desks, changing the logo on the vehicle every 10 minutes. That's where the budget goes. The budget doesn't go to protecting your family members, my friends, out in rural villages. That's not where the money goes. You and I both know that. If you needed backup in Aleknagik and there's no cell service, and in my situation, Barry Wilson deactivated the Wood River repeater to save a couple of hundred bucks a year and didn't tell anybody. If you get on the radio, on your handheld radio, who are you calling? Who are you calling for help? Yeah, I've, I've been in the situation like that countless times where responding out to a rural village in Alaska for a violent crime by myself without any backup and um, not having reliable communications to ask for it if, if, if I needed it. Give us an example of one story. Um, well, th- this, I think, goes to the um, heart of why I came here today to talk about inadequate um, provision of public safety in rural Alaska and by default to Alaska natives who populate rural Alaska. <coughs> um, I, uh, I was called to a village um, for a, a male who had beat up his girlfriend and um, it's a domestic violence call. Um, it, I, I flew out on a charter flight uh, the plane waited at the airport for me. Um, when I arrived to the village, I first go to the clinic to let them know that I'm there, let the health care professionals know that I'm there and what I'm doing, and try to locate where the victim had fled to because the victim had fled. And so I got a hold of the victim, and um, and she told me that the, the male, her boyfriend, as she was fleeing and running from the house, um, he was laying out firearms on the table and on the couch and <clears throat> telling her, uh, call the troopers, I'm, I'm ready, I'm waiting for them. So I have this new information which is more specific than I had when I left the um, Anchorage area and now I'm observing the house where this took place, observing the house where the fellow is still at, um, kind of setting up a one-man perimeter to make sure he doesn't come out and cause problems for other people. Um, And during that time, I um, communicate with my supervisor, and I say, hey, we've got a barricaded subject here at this house. He's already said, I'm waiting for the troopers as he's laying his fire arms out. Who's your supervisor? That was Rick, wasn't um, it? Rick Roberts. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And um, when 
I texted that. I said, is this a cert call? Um, now I'm an hour and a half outside of Anchorage by small plane. Special emergency um, reaction team. My uh, nearest physical trooper is at least half an hour away in King Salmon, Alaska. Um, and By airplane. By airplane. But that's flying time. That's not getting to the airport. And make, Is there a plane getting available? Getting the plane ready, all um, that stuff, yeah. So, so I'm standing out in front of somebody's house who's put out rifles, put out pistols, and he, he's declared he's waiting for me. I remember this call. And uh, and so I text, hey, is this a cert call out? And um, the response that I got back was, um, be creative and ethical in your solution to this problem. And, um, and I felt pretty out there and um, by myself in a situation where um, at least to me, this particular person is a direct and um i mean he said it himself he's waiting for the troopers with his guns um so i felt pretty exposed in that time um and fortunately i um reached out to my potential backup which is in king salmon and that trooper um i told him the same situation he came up with a really good solution um well, this guy's only mad at the woman right now that he beat, and if you remove the focus of his anger from the village, it might calm him down. Things, little, yeah. things. And I thought that was a wonderful idea, so I contacted the woman. We got on that charter flight, and we left mm -hmm. because the the male had not threatened anybody else, and he hadn't posed a threat to anybody else but the girlfriend that he beat up. Right. And um, fortunately, the, the fellow came to his senses within a day or two and um, turned himself in. Right. So, um, but <clears throat> that goes towards, for me, lack of resources put out towards rural Alaska um, because had this been in the valley, Fairbanks, um, within Anchorage Police Department's area, um, there would have been a cert team surrounding that That's house correct. Um, and not um, one uh, trooper standing in the tree line not wanting to um, approach that house um, in a tactical disadvantage. Rick Roberts was mentored by Dan Loudon and that mentorship meant save money at all costs, period. They all were victims of the Casanova's I Gotcha meetings at the commanders conferences that were supposed to be these conferences where things got fixed but instead it was like the red wedding where like you know casanovas would have his deputy commanders come out and start stabbing people in the stomach you know like that type of scene you know what i mean like it was uh oh well i saved money by doing this and i saved money by doing this. and it was ingrained in them to save money at all costs but the commanders and I use that term very loosely because there was nothing about them that commanded anything, were they had the memories of Moose. And they also underestimated people like us that are actually educated, actually have our, you know, uh, our backgrounds and what we have, and also have 
the courage and the decency of saying something and holding them accountable, right? So, <clears throat> I had a very similar situation happen when I first went out to uh, Selwick. Uh, I was assigned to Kotzebue, uh when was that? That was like a 2008, I think it was, right? 2007, 2008. Somewhere I in that 2008. Range. I get out there. <clears throat> Actually, it was a 2009. I apologize. It was like late 2008, early 2009. So I get out there and I had some crazy calls from the get-go. We're completely outgunned, outmanned out there. And I get a call. Same thing. Girl gets raped in Kayana. Guy says, I am not going to jail. If the troopers come, I'm killing them. So bring the trooper. And they never said troopers. They always said trooper because they knew we weren't going more than one typically. We didn't have the assets and we didn't have the budget for it. So he turns around and uh, he arms himself with a, 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 an AR-15. 14 or 15 I think at the time I forget what he had um, but it was a, a 223 caliber with multiple magazines he steals a snow machine and starts traveling between Selwick, Kayana and Norvik and he keeps snow machining he says and he's got his rifle on his back he's breaking into people's houses he's stealing fuel uh, he's threatened to take over a school. This is all happening during the day. I call up. Uh, I couldn't get through to uh, Captain uh, Wilson. I call up his deputy commander at the time, Lieutenant Tracy. Tracy tells me, there's nobody coming out there, Lou. You're going to have to figure this out. There's nobody. We're not going to fly anyone out there. We don't have the budget. We're not going to send anyone out. I said, well, I need cert. I need manpower. There's like three of us out here. And there's three villages. What, are we going to put one guy in each village to do a one-on-one -on -one with an armed individual? Do what you got to do. Well, son, bitch. And, I didn't, and actually, at that time, um, uh, the only thing I had was a wildlife trooper and a trooper Blanchette, who was, uh, at the time was uh, narcotics. So I was the only trooper. And then there was a wildlife trooper and then the narcotics trooper. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm in trouble now. So I remembered that when I was at ABI, it never. If you don't mean, if you don't mean to fulfill a, a promise like this, don't ever make the promise. But there was this uh, ATF agent there, a senior ATF agent who uh, we did an operation with, and we shook hands at the end of the operation. And he says, "Man, if you ever need anything, give me a call." So I said, well, shit. So I call him up. I said, hey, man, I told him exactly what I just told you right now. I said, He's like, they're not going to send anybody? I said, no, man, they told me they're not sending anybody. You told me if I needed help, call you. So I need backup right now. Can you come and help me? The guy's armed. There's alcohol involved. He's raped a woman. He's threatening to kill me. I've already ordered all the schools on lockdown. Can you help me out? Hold on. Gets a special agent in charge on the phone. Special agent in charge. Like, they're not sending you anybody? I said, no, man. <laughs> you know how the troopers are. They're not going to send me anybody. He's like, all right, man. I can spare this agent, and we have a new agent that just came on. 
I'll send those two out to help you right now. I'm flying them out right now. They fly out. I meet them at the airport three hours later. They're all geared up. We fly out to Selowick. I was going to bring up the photo, but uh, I couldn't find the photo. There's a, a cool photo of us. We posed on, a, on, on the dog sled, uh, you know, the sleds that they would tow you behind the snow machine. Like, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we fly to Selowick. Can't find them. We set up there. We're clearing houses. We cleared the entire school. Just three of us cleared the entire school. I asked uh, Eric Loring and Blanchett, can you guys clear uh, uh, the Kayana school? Let Kotzebue know that this guy may be heading to Kotzebue too. They start doing all this stuff. We're doing it with five people, six people at one point. My saving grace is that the superintendent in Kotzebue calls uh, the news and lets them know what's going on. Headquarters finds out. The new colonel at the time was Audie Holloway. He had no idea that this was happening. They didn't brief him. They didn't tell him. So I get a call from uh, Tracy, and he says, Hey, Lou, it looks like you're going to get what you, what you asked for. But before uh, we do anything else, how the hell did ATF get involved? I called him. Why'd you do that? And I told him the same thing. I said, well, you weren't sending any, anybody, and this guy owed me a favor, so I called him up, and they sent, they sent two agents out. Okay, don't ever do that again, but it looks like you're going to get uh, what you asked for. The colonel wants to speak to you directly. I'm going to put him on speakerphone, and you need to tell him what happened. I tell him, Colonel Holloway, who, who was in charge of APD at the time, he was the deputy chief of APD, the entire time, he's like, what the fuck? Like, he... He's like, I can tell in his tone, he's looking at his commanders like, why did we not send CERT out to this? This dude's fighting a battle by himself, essentially. And he's having to call other agencies and other divisions to help him out. At one point, we had the families helping us. They all armed up with rifles and stuff, and they were helping me to hunt them down, hunt down their own family member. So, Scott Johnson and... uh, uh, Pasquoya, and I'm trying not to choke up. You know, we lost Scott. And uh, I remember Holloway's like, hey, man. And he called me Lou. He says, Lou, I'm, we're sending people out to help you right now. We're going to figure out, we're going to get one of the certs out there to you right now. They ended up sending Fairbank cert out to me. They grabbed the King Air, the caravan, sent it out. And then they sent, uh, they flew Merrill and uh, Strobel, and I think somebody else out from Nome. They flew all these people in. I don't know if you remember this call. They come oh, I, I was on it. That's right! That's right! <laughs> That's right! That's right! Remember? Where, and finally, they send all this help. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I remember the raw emotion of seeing Scott and Fairbairn and all these guys mm-hmm. coming off that plane. Like, a, man, my family's here now. Yeah, and, and where I came into it was um, I was at a training in Anchorage at the time and Colonel Holloway came into the training and he says anybody who's on a cert team I need you to join up come and I'm going to tell you something and and he was beginning the assignment of this mission Wow! and um, I overheard it location the people involved and um, that being my home town my home area and I knew the um, the fugitive that's right childhood that's I, right I said I'm not a cert guy but I know a lot of the things that you might need to know, and I know people to make phone calls to in the villages. And right. um, he said, you're going to be on that plane. That's so. right. 
the guy ends up turning himself in and the family ends up cooperating, number one, because of your communication with them and your bond to them. But just as important, they understood that there was no, the bad guy understood and his family that was now trying to reason with him understood, you're not going to survive this. They sent all these troopers out here for you. You can't win this fight. You're not going to win. And I remember that we used to have to tell people all the time, I just get the bad guys all the time, hey, listen, man, it's not like in the movies. We don't shoot the kill. We shoot the stop. So if, if I shoot you in your leg unintentionally because I'm aiming for center mass, but then you duck or whatever happens and I hit you in the leg or I hit you in the spine and I paralyze you I'm not gonna it's not the movies I'm not gonna walk over and shoot you in the head to to end it now you're paralyzed for the rest of your life or now you got half your face is missing or your arm is missing because as soon as you stop we stop correct yes so it doesn't always end like in the movies and people were able to relate to this guy that he was gonna lose the fight and for the first time ever in the history of that region there was enough appropriately numbered law enforcement public safety presence to make everyone in the community feel safe everyone in the community because normally people don't speak up because they're like well we're going to get smashed here you know if we if i turn him in he's going to come and get me but now it was easier for them to make these phone calls because there's all this presence there there's all this security there fast forward we end up losing a Another example, and this is the example that angers me more than anything else. I take this one very personally. Tom Madol, pastor, you knew him. Mm-hmm. He was a pastor. He went out to the Bristol Bay region because he had a calling from God to help the people out there. At one point, God called on him, and he was like, man... I want to do something super honorable, but I'm older. I'm going to be a VPSO. I can't be a trooper, so I'll be a VPSO. And he volunteered. What was it? Manicotic? Manicotic. Manicotic. So he's in the village of Manicotic, and uh, he gets a call for a disturbance with a guy who's known to be hostile towards law enforcement, known to be armed. What the public doesn't know, that the department tried to keep hush, and I made statements about it multiple times at headquarters to no avail. There was a trooper physically in the village the day that he was killed. There was a trooper there. Trooper Vic A was there, who was your predecessor at that unit. Mm -hmm. He was one of the laziest troopers in the history of the department. This is a guy who had been mentored by Barry Wilson, and the two of them had that notoriety, if you recall, was they would get dispatched when they were down in Soldatna, they would get dispatched to a domestic violence call or to a hot call, and then they would miraculously find a DUI investigation. They would pull over a vehicle that was speeding. Oh, I'm out with a, with a, a potential DUI. Uh, I'm not going to be available. Send somebody else. Mm-hmm. And they would allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me interject and, and agree to disagree based on my knowledge. I mean, we have different experiences with different people. Right. Um, and I, um, I, I didn't follow Vic A in a position that, I, that he was in after him. Yeah. Um, 
and so so I don't have the same opinion as you have as, as far as his his work ethic based on what I know. Right. Okay. I got you. He uh, as as the sergeant and working with him in Kotzebue, he was one of those guys that constantly evaded work. Always evaded work. He always uh, when he was on standby because his job was to come out and augment us. When you came out and augmented us in Bristol Bay, I could call you 24-7. You always had your phone on. Trooper A had was notorious for shutting his phone off and thinking it was like a big joke. And he would tell you, look, man, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not out here to take calls. I'm out here to get my pay and leave. The day that Madol is killed, Vic is in the village. He tells, he's going to the airport, and Madol goes out with him to the airport because uh, Vic A wants to go home. He ain't trying to pick up any cases. He's trying to go home. Vic A looks at him and says, Trooper A, who is the armed trained trooper at the time, you got anything going right now? He says, yeah, I got to go to this disturbance call. All right, you need any help? No, I'm good. You know, because no VPSO, with few exceptions, are going to, it's almost a pride thing. They're like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I'll take it. Okay, because I'm going. Jumps on the plane, leaves. I don't know of any trooper or cop that would have left. As soon as the VPSO would have told me that they were going on a call to a disturbance, I'm missing my flight. I have been stuck in Selowick for eight days straight because my VPOs needed help. And they had disturbance calls. And... If there's a gun involved, there's nothing that they can do about it. That's my job. I'm the trained guy with the gun. I'm supposed to do that. Madol gets killed. Moments after A takes his lazy ass on that aircraft and flies out, Madol gets killed. That's on DPS all day long, twice on Sunday. That blood is on their hands. The budget, the penny-pinching assholes at headquarters that made it possible... For bad guys like that to kill one of ours. Because we refuse to pay for the overtime. Or refuse to pay for the appropriate number of troopers to respond to a call. That's what killed Madol. We do the funeral. I know I was a part of the funeral. I had to coordinate it. I was doing the escorts and all kinds of stuff. I was at recruitment at the time. Like It turned out that we... I mean, uh, it was Colonel Mallet at the time. We ended up just being the funeral people. It was me and Barlow. The funeral people. I thought it was only going to be that one time. Then we had Tage Toll Melnading. Hilo One crash. I'm going to try to link the NHTSA report to this... To this... uh to this podcast so people can see because it's, it's too long for me to actually post the national highway safety aviation uh, national highway aviation safety transportation association you know the the guys agency the guys that in, investigate ntsb or uh, uh, excuse me ntsb that, oh my god i apologize it's ntsb that investigated the the crash the ntsb findings were and I don't know if you read this report that it was all over. It's all over the internet. You can actually just Google Hilo One Crash Report. NTSB said the cause, the contributing, the major contributing cause to this uh, mishap was the punitive 
environment that existed at the aviation unit. True story. Because pilots and mechanics would be disciplined for not being for not being able to respond to operations, to not being able to get airborne in time, would start taking risks and would stop reporting certain things that affected safety because they didn't want to get written up. They didn't want to get punished. It's all over the report. So what they did was they promoted Brian Barlow into that position. Brian Barlow ended up taking over the aviation section. Because he's a likable person that uh, had a history of team building, so on and so forth, right? Everyone loved him as a sergeant. Uh, I knew him from uh, negotiations, training, all that stuff. And I worked for him at recruitment for a while. He's in charge of the unit. The Nading family, the Toll family, everyone's satisfied. They turn around, they wait a couple of years, right? They wait a couple of years. He leaves now. They promote Olson, Eric Olson, to take over that section. I'm friends with Eric. I love Eric. Eric's not a supervisor, though. Eric is not a supervisor. Eric is one of the hardest working troopers in the history of the Alaska State Troopers. But even during his evaluation at recruitment, and by the way, I had access to all the evaluations and mental evaluations and everything else, it was reported that this guy is going to have an unreasonable expectation of the people that work for him, that he expects them to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to work for free and not collect overtime, and that he himself will work until he's broken and then keep working, which he does. I mean, this guy would be in severe back pain and would still show up to work. Work ethic is not an issue for me. But that is the worst person to put in charge of an aviation section that just lost lives documented by a third party whose expertise is in investigating the cause of crashes. Why are you going to take a guy that was demoted in excuse me, in Kodiak for aggressive leadership to the point that the, the chief of police of Kodiak complained about him and the ADA in Kodiak complained about him. They demote him to investigator and then the Alaska Wildlife Troopers say, you'd be a perfect fit for this aviation section. Nobody's watching right now. Nobody's going to know about it. No one's going to talk about this. We'll just put you in charge of the unit. The unit starts sustaining the same issues. They're back to the same situation that they were in prior to the death of Nading. And it's only a matter of time before we have another crash or something else because they're, once again, too worried about punitive issues. I know that for a fact because a particular pilot that you and I know and are friends with who used to fly us around, he was the King Air pilot, reported to them because they wanted him to fly a... a uh, he was the King Air pilot. They wanted him to fly a, uh, a Cub from Bethel to Anchorage for maintenance. And he told them, he says, I'm not familiar with the airspace for that aircraft because at the King Air, you're flying at higher altitudes and higher speeds. He's like, I haven't flown the Cub in a while and I don't feel safe doing this mission. And they ordered them to do it. 
even after he told them he didn't feel safe and he outlined why it wasn't safe, they ordered him to do it. He has emails from Olson and uh, Bernard Chastain in them, ordering him, no, you're going to do it. Even though, not safe. Even though. And then we fast forward again. The agency has promised all these widows this is never going to happen again. We learned from this. Never going to happen again. Scott and Gabe. Scott was like Superman to me. I mean, he was at every cert training. He was. He wrote the majority of the uh, scenarios for all the cert training. Every time we went up there to do like negotiations and stuff, that was Scott's scenarios. Gabe. I got to, uh, Gabe Rich, I, I got to supervise him at Arctic Man. He was one of those guys that even in the worst situation could make everybody laugh. He walked into the room. He walked into the command center there at Arctic Man. I don't care how upsetting things were. He found a way of making things light. Maybe it was that dark humor, but it was something that it just made us happy. And it was happy. I was happy to see someone who was new to law enforcement that made it. I was looking at it through fresh eyes. They get sent out to a call in Tanana, as you know. This isn't a mystery. The call is the guy that they're going after just pointed a rifle at a VPSO. That's a fact. Known to the world. That's a fact. We respond by Let's send two troopers. Let's see what happens. Let's roll the dice, see what happens. Clearly, two troopers isn't enough. We sent our tactics expert as one of the troopers. There it was no one at the time in the department that had more tactics expertise than Scott. And we sent Gabe, physically fit, deathly loyal to, to Scott and to the and to the department believed in the mission, they go out. Because that's what you do. One riot, one trooper. These two guys go. They're unbeknownst to them. They're outgunned. They get ambushed. They're killed. Then we decide that we're going to send the appropriate response. Then we send multiple troopers. Then we send CERT. That should have been the the first thing we did. But... We did it. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, when we all, everyone was going to court for all the hearings. I remember Barry Wilson. I was talking with him, and he was like, he was so pissed. He was so upset. That <laughs> would just all right. That uh, that might be some angry spirit saying, <laughs> "You're right, Lou. You're right." But uh, Barry Wilson, he was so pissed. He's like, it's not appropriate for all these troopers to show support like that. It creates a bias. And then uh, we had another argument on the side note was uh, about housing issues and how housing with mold and electrical fires and all kinds of stuff and the poor housing conditions for troopers out in the villages. He was like, I don't want to hear about that. So he says, half these guys make more than I do. They can just suck it up. This is a guy who had never served a day of his life in Western Alaska. 
got promoted because of his popularity and his relationship to the union at the time. Mm-hmm. Even though he was fired from the union, he was acting to step down as the president because he was mismanaging funds. He was using funds for for alcoholic trips to Hawaii and Florida and all these other places. This is a guy who was a known scumbag to the department, and yet he was in charge of a bunch of things. Anyway, one of the key problems is people like him that believe dollars is more important than lives. We promise all these widows, we're not doing that again. The next time... A trooper is responding to a call where there's firearms involved, there's danger. We are going to send the appropriate number of troopers, irregardless of the budget. We're going to send the appropriate number of troopers. Unless you're an Alaska native named Nazrick Ney, or you're a Puerto Rican named Lou Nieves, that's not happening. And they kept sending us, even after, this is way after they made these promises, they're sending you to the most, one of the most remote portions of the state by yourself. And even after you text them and say, hey man, pretty sure I need help here. Make it work. Yeah, and um, to, to get back on the topic of my own experiences, um, a whole different call, aside from the one we talked about before, um, I, I got called to a different village one that I was really familiar with, one, one where I'd um, been numerous times and knew the community, knew the kids. Um, and it was for a, a young man who was intoxicated and had um, taken out a, a semi-automatic rifle and was emptying the magazine out over the village. Um, and his house was on an elevated plane in the village. And, um, and so I get the call late at night and... Once again, I go out by myself to confront this person with a semi-automatic rifle with a 15-round magazine, at least. Um, and uh, and fortunately, um, as happens in a lot of cases, but it's not guaranteed, um, I knew the young man. I, I knew his family. We'd had positive contacts in the past before, and I make sure to do that in order to establish relationships with my people. Um and so, and, and the, the few hours that passed between the late night call and when I was able to fly out in the morning um, allowed the guy to sober up. Um, it allowed somebody who was close by to hide the gun. Um, <clears throat> and by the time I got there, I talked to the fellow and I determined that the area that where, where he was firing was over just empty forest. It wasn't over the village like was mm. thought. And so, <clears throat> so that brought it down to a a misdemeanor where I had to go back to Anchorage and type paperwork up to get to a warrant. I couldn't just arrest him at that point right. based on the criteria. And um, and I said, hey, um, your cousin told me I could go and retrieve the firearm from inside his house where he hid it, so I'm going to go do that. And so I went into the boiler room where they hid the gun, and I saw that it was um, like an SKS rifle, and um, and he had five loaded 30-round magazines with the rifle um, and more ammunition on top of that. Um, and here's Nostrick arriving in the village by himself, not knowing that that was a potential um, adversary that I was going to have in the village. Right. And so I seized the rifle and um, went to the plane, put it in the belly of the plane, and as we were taking off, I had a huge panic attack because I knew 
what potentially might have just happened had things been different um, by myself in the village. Um, and uh, it, uh, it certainly didn't feel good. You know, uh, I have the utmost respect for you. You, you bled blue, and you, but you ultimately, uh, you were so loyal to protecting the communities out here. I mean, like, every moment you could take to speak, to do public speaking events and to try and encourage people to do something different with their lives, you always did it. You know, uh, I remember uh, the department scoffed when uh, uh, me and the trooper went down to the Boys and Girls Club in Mountain View. It had never happened before. <laughs> that place, that place was too black for 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 the troopers to go to if you ask them, and it was absolutely necessary that we went down there and spoke to and spoke to those kids and let them know that we're approachable and that we exist. You know, there's a reason why that we can't recruit troopers and we can't recruit the appropriate demographics to represent the numbers in the state is because we have managers that don't want to recruit anyone that doesn't look like them or sound like them or speak like them. That's a fact. That's a fact. How many Alaska, uh, uh, how many Alaska natives do you know have promoted to the rank of sergeant or above in in, uh, in AST? You could probably you could probably name all of them, can't you? Three off the top of my head, and I'm going back 25 years. 25 years. Um, I, I may miss somebody, but um, yeah. Um, how many how many black troopers have ever been a wildlife trooper? How many black troopers have ever been a wildlife trooper? I it's a loaded question. Don't think I, there I have been any. There was one in the entire history of the department, and they ran that mother out as soon as they could. They did not want them there. Matter of fact, a certain individual who's running for office right now had the opportunity of promoting the very first black sergeant to Alaska wildlife troopers. There was no way on earth he was doing it, even though that person was way more qualified than the other candidates. There was no way he was doing it. Even though that person had the approval and the recommendation of the deputy directors and all of the board members unanimously, he wasn't having it. Because we allow the directors to make the ultimate decision on promotion. So if the director doesn't like you, that that's a wrap. It doesn't matter how qualified you are, you don't get it. And people... You know, they'll see you next Tuesdays like Brittany Patsky. They enable that behavior. They know the numbers. Brittany, she used to hate having to give me those numbers when I was in recruitment. I would hit her up. And she wasn't she wasn't prepared for questions like that. And I need the percentage of minorities in positions throughout the state. I need to know all the PCNs for the department. What? That's going to take me a while. It shouldn't take you, take you five minutes. If I can name all of them, you probably know. You probably have the numbers. If I can name every minority trooper, you know the numbers. It's it's something that should not be happening. When I was in the military, yeah, there was racism in the early in the eighties and the nineties and stuff. But at the end of the day, your color was your uniform, man. That was your color. Nobody gave a rat's ass. 
when I would go on calls, you know, when I was going on calls in, in, in Selowick and I was able to drag Gordon Young and, and uh, 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 Bits with me, there was no color. We were blue. I know that for a fact. I can tell you why. Because we showed up to a call one time. There was a disturbance. Guy was throwing TVs and <laughs> all kinds of... We, we show, we're on the boardwalk and we see this television, the stereo flying out of this house on the boardwalk. We're like, oh, snap. We go, we wrestle with the guy, finally get him in handcuffs. We leave. About a month or so later, a guy commits suicide with a with an AR, shoots himself. And uh, I remember uh, my brother there, man, uh, BPO, uh, Clarence Snyder, man, that was my brother, man. I loved that dude. We were like the... I was like the the Puerto Rican Lone Ranger, and he was Tonto. Although I think, in theory, that would make me Zorro. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that was my boy, man. That was my ride or die. He'd show up to stuff all the time. Sometimes, you know, it, it'd be some dangerous calls. He'd still be right there next to me, man, no matter what. And anyway, uh, he's like, hey. I just went over there and I secured the weapon. He says, man, that's the gun that he was pointing at you guys. I said, what? What do you mean pointing at us? We weren't even there. What do you mean? No, no. Remember that time you were arresting that dude on the on boardwalk and it was you, Gordon, and Bits on the boardwalk? I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He killed himself with the rifle that he was pointing at you guys. Uh, he he had actually pointed in on you guys. He was going to shoot all three of you, but then uh, he decided not to at the last second. Hmm. We were on borrowed time, bro. Mm -hmm. We were on borrowed time. But my point in all that is I'm brown. I'm, my my little DNA test says I'm 14% uh, uh, native. <laughs> Apparently my ancestors were messing around, right? But he didn't care about that. He saw a uniform. He don't see race. The majority, if not 100% of all of our... Of our... Uh, uh, clientele that we deal with they see trooper they don't see race mm -hmm. would you agree i agree so why should our management see race then they shouldn't um one time while i was at headquarters um there was a um a news crew that came out and filmed um short clips with different uh employees um and i was chosen to um, be one of the people that just said what was on my mind about uh, about recruitment of, of troopers in Alaska, and um, and one of my statements was that um, I believe that the um, demographics of our department should reflect the demographic demographics of the state of Alaska people. Amen. And uh, sadly, that's not the case. Um, and I noticed that um, when the news came on, um, the other stuff I said was was there, but that part was. Uh, cut off from the uh of course from the broadcast it of was course. it was in print but it wasn't yeah yeah uh, because the media here in Alaska like the main the main channels there's no true investigative journalism up here the media outlets know that the Department of Public Safety will blackball them and not and put them on a media blackout if they don't if they 
if they don't play nice with them. DPS has done it before. Well, all of a sudden, that reporter can't get any information from DPS ever again. No ride-along, no nothing. Nothing. they got to fight for it. In other jurisdictions, the your hardcore investigative uh, 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 journalists, they... Shoot, they're, they're your huckleberry on that. They like that. They're like, yeah, hell yeah. We, we, we hope you do do that. We wish you would do that. Mm-hmm. And they'll find the information. You know, uh, the stuff that I spoke about today, you can speak to many troopers that are currently out in the field that are more than aware of this information. They just, they can't say anything because they'll get fired. They, hell, they saw what happened to me. They're like, no, they don't want that smoke. Uh the damages that were done to me and my family are irreparable. I mean, it, hell, we had an economist that reported that uh, the, the department did over $3 million worth of damage to us fiscally when you, when you calculate all the, all the revenue I would have earned and my reputation and everything else, right? Not to mention my health, the medical, and everything else. People see that. They're like, man, I'm not saying anything. Lou's been speaking up since day one, and look at what that got him, (laughs) right? But, you know, you can only kick somebody so many times. And, you know, for me personally, and this is my message to Alaska Natives. You know, I'm I'm from Queens, New York, originally. I'm a New Yorkian. Where I come from, you push me or you smack me, you get smacked back. 100% the fight's on, right? And I think what's happened over the years, and maybe I'm being pretentious saying this, but I feel that in all these decades that the uh, Alaska Native community has forgotten about some of their badass history, that warrior history, man. You're the same guys that beat the brakes off of the Russians in southeast Alaska beat the brakes off of them with just stick and stone weapons, literally. Drove off those invaders multiple times. They had to come with, like, major force and weapons, and, uh, you know, they had to come in hard to fight. And even then, that warrior mentality that's been there for ages, it's still dormant in all of you. But what happens is uh, you get beat down enough and you get it suppressed enough, you don't want to let it out. I hope that our friends from South Central Foundation, Siri, Nana, um, those shareholders and those corporate leads that are listening to this podcast, that they would turn around and weaponize this and go after the Department of Public Safety and go after all the evil players in this, in this that have been keeping them from being protected all this time. For no valid reason, by the way, other than budget. But we always find the budget for stupid stuff. We've, every colonel, their legacy is changing the logo on the side of the vehicle. That's their legacy. My legacy, if I were the colonel or the commissioner, would be reporting to everyone that the village of Selawick has troopers, 
the appropriate number of troopers assigned to it, a fully functional 911 system in the Bristol Bay region. Every village has a fully functional 911 and 811 system, and every village has a trooper that wants to go out there and serve in those villages. We can't do that when the department sabotages itself for ego. I'll give you one last example, housing. There's a reason why a lot of troopers don't want to go out there. I remember talking to Barry Wilson's wife. We were at a dinner, and I asked her, you know, it was jokingly, but I said, you know, your husband's in charge of the largest Western Alaska detachment, but it's never served out there. Does that not <laughs> bother you? You know, She's like, no. She says, I, I told him I would never go out there. I'll never go out there. There's no housing. There's nothing available out there. He can go by himself, but I'm never going out there. This is the wife of the detachment commander for at the time of the of the largest detachment that protects the largest number of uh, of uh, Alaska natives. This is the same guy that for AFN he sent himself to the IACP International Association of Chiefs of Police convention in Orlando rather than attend AFN where all of his stakeholders are. The people that benefit from his services are. He should have been there. I was there. That's why I met Dr. Mala. That's he should have been there, but he chose not to. Until we correct those things. As an example, you know the housing, the housing, the Alaska housing would have built us housing in all of these villages, brand new housing. The caveat was. That it couldn't just be trooper housing. It would be, you know, like it would be like housing complex where it'd be like a DOT employee, a teacher, and then us. Troopers weren't having it. No, we don't want we don't want all these entities involved. No. It's one state. It doesn't say it like the Alaska State Troopers, the Department of Public Safety, Alaska State Troopers, is not its own country or state. But when you're at the headquarters level and you start seeing how things operate, you realize real quick that they they really put themselves on their own island. And they don't want nobody else coming in because it's considered an invasion of some kind. Which is insane because these are the things that benefit everyone in the state. Including the troopers, the fire marshals, the court service officers, the admins, the criminal justice techs that provide these services. If I were commissioner, if for some miracle I was commissioner, it would take me eight years to fix the department. Eight years. I figured it out. It would take you four years to flush the command process, to flush that entire command like a toilet, to mentor new commanders, new leadership, and to start gaining the confidence of all of your direct reports, all of the employees of the Department of Public Safety, all five divisions. And then it would take an additional four years to make that the actual culture, to make it the actual thing. Because what happens at the Department of Public Safety, the reason, you know how we'll be like, oh man, Gary Folgers, the commissioner now, things are going to change. Oh, Joe Masters is the commissioner. Two Alaska natives, man, that showed that they could make it, bro. I was appointed to APSE because of uh, Masters. Hell, I got promoted under him. Love that guy. But him and Folger, and I, I had intimate conversations with Folger. 
They were constantly being sabotaged by all of those hateful commanders trained under the Cas- the Casanova's leadership model, uh, of management model of make everybody else look bad so that you can look good and they're not looking at your shortcomings because they're looking at everybody else's shortcomings. These guys are always waiting on the sideline, sabotaging things. I watched it. We were supposed to have an aircraft years ago assigned to Kotzebue. Back in 2009, Joe Masters ordered, actually it was 2010, it was right after uh, Monaghan had been fired by uh, Palin. Remember, we, I don't even know how many commissioners we've had just since 2007. It's People lose track. You know, you had Tandesky and... I can't even go into it. There's too many, too many names. Masters comes in. He asks us what we need. It was after that debacle in Selawick and stuff. We need an aircraft. We got prisoners we got to transport down to Nome. We got all kinds of stuff that we got to do. We need an aircraft here. They found there's an aircraft in Galena at the time. And Wilson was in charge. And All right, man. Let's get that aircraft here. Let's get these guys a pilot. Call it good. If we got to, we'll hire a civilian pilot, but for now we'll have a wildlife trooper fly it, whatever it takes. But we're going to have a pilot here. We're going to make it work. Months go by. Months go by. No aircraft. Passive-aggressive. Wilson knew. If I get that aircraft there, and that aircraft actually satisfies the community and actually makes it a safer community and actually helps people making it the safest community now because they have an aircraft that can get people to all these villages in a blink of an eye instead of waiting hopefully for a charter he knew the way he looked at it was no then this commissioner that I hate is going to look good I can't have that well if he doesn't know about it, I just don't fucking move the aircraft there. It's not an issue. So how's Masters find out about it? Swear to God, I'm sitting there. We had a dry erase board. Dwayne Stone was my sergeant. I love Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne's like, Lou, create a, a schedule for the aircraft so that when the commissioner or any visitors come, they can see that we're actually planning out the use of this aircraft appropriately. So I did. Well, it had been months now, and he still had me updating this schedule. So I wrote the words, hand wrote fictional aircraft. Mm. That's all I wrote on it. I had no idea that that day, the day that I wrote that, Masters walked in with the uh, 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 adjunct general for the National Guard. He walks in because <laughs> they were getting ready to try to find us a facility. And I think that's when they ended up putting us in the courthouse because that was the old National Guard building. Uh-huh. And that Air National Guard general was the one who could release those properties to us. And uh, he comes in. And I remember he looked up and I forgot I wrote it. And he looks up and his head tilts. Hey, Lou, what's this? And I was so mad at that point, I didn't give a damn. I still don't give a damn. And I said, uh, I said, oh, how did I say? I said, oh, I said, <laughs> I went, you know what, sir? When I was in the Coast Guard, if the Commandant of the Coast Guard, I didn't know it was the Adjutant General sitting next to him, but I had no idea. I don't think he was even in uniform. I said, if the Commandant of the Coast Guard turned around 
and told my boss, I want a C-130 stationed here instead of here, it happened that day. I said, the way I view it, you're the commandant of all the troopers and wildlife troopers. I said, I didn't know it was an option to blow you off and to tell you no. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, it's not an option. <laughs> we ended up getting the aircraft a couple of weeks later. Insane that that had to happen like that. Mm -hmm. Why does that have to happen like that? The man ordered us to do it. Why do we Why do we allow these people in that position? Back to why it would take me eight years or anybody who became commissioner, at least they'd have to be in that position for a minimum, a minimum of eight years is because you got to flush out all the bad players, develop new players, and then for the next four years you have to convince all of the rank and file and the public that you serve that this is the new standard and this is how we're going to live from this point on. And this is a safe working environment where guys don't have to worry about retribution. Guys don't have to worry about poor housing. Guys don't have to worry about budget constraints preventing them from being safe. Happy staff always equates to happy customers. That's a known fact, bro. Mm -hmm. That's a known fact. Look in any industry. When Walmart employees are being treated great, the customer service is great. Look at Target right now. Walmart right now has some of the worst customer service because they've degraded since uh, the founder of Walmart passed that whole model. Uh, I mean, you've got guys, you've got guys on TikTok getting on the speaker and, and, and quitting on the speaker at Walmarts. That's like the common video. Target, they just raised the minimum wage to like $22 an hour at Target. And you're seeing it now because when you walk into Target, you're, you're almost attacked by guys in red shirts. Hey, can I help you? Can I help you find something? It changes the environment. Mm -hmm. Changes the environment. You go to Home Depot, you have to get into a foot pursuit sometimes with some of those guys to get them to help. They're like trying to strip off their Home Depot vest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, they're going to ask me for where the hammers are or something, you know? Yeah. Lowe's, different, right? Mm -hmm. Going to Lowe's, yeah. there's like 10 of them. Hey, man, can I help you find something? It, it, different environment because they're being treated well. Mm -hmm. They treat the customers well. It's all hand in hand. But that doesn't mean that we waste money either. You know, it. it uh, I'm not going to turn around and buy you new furniture every 10 minutes, but I am going to get you appropriate housing. I am going to do the, the reasonable things. that The, the bare basics. You, you, you have a right to live in safe housing because if you're worried about, if you're going on a dangerous call and the only thing on your mind is that your house is flooding, are you able to focus on that call? No. I've actually had that happen. <coughs> I, the trooper who helped you in King Salmon the entire time he's helping you, he's wondering whether or not there's going to be another electrical fire in his house. I've got the email right here. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's it's insane uh, uh, what is prioritized. We have no problem spending money on a morbidly obese commander's uniform items and replacing steering wheels at probably the rate of tens of thousands of dollars a year. To help this guy still sit in a position that he shouldn't even be in in the first place but yet we have troopers like you that we couldn't pay to arm you appropriately to give you the right equipment 
to charter an aircraft for you. We to send five troopers instead of just you. <laughs> yeah, um, and while I have this platform, and while you, while you're on Please. that topic, um, the related to how a trooper feels when they're subjected to not having the resources that are actually necessary to ensure or enhance safety um, and still being sent to calls that by rights are not a one-person call. Um, there, There were times where being conscious of my workload, my area of responsibility, being conscious of the fact that I th- things weren't changing and I wasn't getting more help on the next call or um, or even the promise of more help on the next call um, that was similar to the last call that was too much already. Um, th- I had a feeling of, am I being tested here? <clears throat> am I being, is, is this like an ultimate test to see how, how long it takes for me to break down and um, cease to perform at an acceptable level? Um, or is this a conscious effort to wash me out of the program, so to speak? Um, so, so knowing what things should have looked like and knowing what things did look like resulted in those questions in my mind for, for a long period of time. Well... I can't help but feel like I failed you multiple times. I fought as hard as I possibly could, but I just, I was losing battles left and right, but I never stopped fighting. I just want you to know that. And and I remember our phone calls where we were talking about the day-to-day examples of this, and yeah, you're very supportive and um, advocating for me. Um, I do clearly remember that. I um, Thank you for that. Well, I I hope that I can... uh, continue to to make things right uh, with you and all the others that we just and we fought day in day out you know there's victims right now uh, all over the, um, the the Bristol Bay region that never had justice because the ADA dumped all the cases I actually sent an email and I have the email I'll link it in the description where uh, I sent it to Rick Roberts and to good old Bowie, Barry Wilson, Mr. Basketball Belly there. Uh, And I told them, these are the cases. This is from all my troopers. These are all the cases that have been dismissed, some of them with eyewitnesses. We had one woman that was mute. She was deaf and mute, raped brutally. Witnesses. The rapist had barricaded the door and they could see things going on through the door and they finally <clears throat> broke in through a window. Um, and then he jumped out another window and escaped. We got a we got a, a, a constructive confession from him, you know, where he put himself on the scene. He put himself at the motive. He just didn't say, I raped her. He says, no, I just grabbed her in between her legs. But, you know, I was trying to finger her, but she she told me to stop. And I was like, she's deaf and mute. How'd she tell you to stop? Oh, she just pushed my hand away. He put himself on the scene. The forensic evidence proved that he was there. And uh, um, 
DA dumped that case along with other ones. I ended up having the SARD advocates and everything file complaints, and we get this DA fired. What a lot of people don't know, and I'm hoping that some of the people listening to this, like even the uh, the gentleman that was shot in Big Lake by the trooper that was uh, high on cocaine at the time, a lot of people are told that the statute of limitations, you know, hinder them from filing civil suits. But there is actual case law that shows that the moment new details that were concealed earlier are revealed to you, you that sets the clock up all over again. It resets the clock. So if you're listening to this for the first time and you're hearing these facts and you were the victim of one of these crimes and you're just now learning that it was because of evidence concealed by the state or misconduct by the state in terms of failing to respond, you can launch a lawsuit against the state right now. And I encourage you to. I encourage you. I, I think the Department of Law needs to be crushed with lawsuits for the next couple of years. I need, you know, I I, I think uh, one of the, the best ways, aside from uh, uh, making me commissioner, <laughs> just kidding, aside from that, what they really need to do is uh, people need to contact the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, the Native Corporations need to contact the U.S. Department of Justice and demand a consent decree. That's what they really need to do. Uh, that's what's happening, uh, or that's what happened in, uh, um, uh, where the hell was it? Uh, in Ferguson, the Ferguson Police Department. They're under consent decree right now. The entire department is being regulated and overseen by the Department of Justice. That's what Department of Public Safety needs right now. And going back to, remember I said that it would take me eight years to fix the department or any other commissioner eight years? That's why notoriously consent decrees are 10 years. Because they know they're saying the same thing I'm saying. It takes them the first couple of years just to clean all the trash out. And then it takes the additional years to... Now cultivate and promote that new culture in the in the department and among the community because you got to win that community back. You got to gain your legacy back, your reputation back. You know, and I think that uh, uh, if people are strong enough to to get that done, that's the only time we're going to see change affected. You know, at these departments, we're going to see change in the Department of Public Safety. We'll see change. In, and the uh, Department of Law will see change even at the Public Safety Employees Association, which handpicks who they're going to represent and who they're not going to represent. And, you know, I mean, that's a whole chapter on its own. That's a whole subject on its own. But, you know, the uh, it's the good news for everybody listening. It is doable. It is actually something that can happen if enough people have the courage to come forward and to hold these guys responsible and to say, what you guys are doing is inappropriate, and it's not. We're not going to stand for it anymore. It's our state. It's not your state. You'll hear comments from people like the Hans Brinkies and the Wilsons that'll tell you, "It's their state. It's not your state. It's our state." You, as a matter of fact, it's less your state because you're you're charged with protecting it. You, you work for the people of Alaska. Don't ever forget that. I don't think I ever forgot that. And I know you didn't because your ass was going to things that no reasonable person would go to because you knew what the assignment was. It was to protect the people. And you did it even 
even where nobody would have the courage to do what you did. You just kept showing up to that stuff, man. And I, I mean, I sit in awe of you a lot of times. I'm like, man, this cat, man, he, he was going to stuff at three o'clock in the morning that nobody would go to. Every other department in the nation would have sent ten officers to, and you were going by yourself to that stuff. Well, it's not without its uh, residual um, prerequisite PTSD that I carry with me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and remember uh, to take care of yourself with that, man. Uh, uh, don't ever, don't ever think that you can, uh, don't ever think that you have to carry that by yourself or don't have someone to talk to about it. And there's so much uh, counseling available now. Um, there's so much assistance out there now. People are just now starting to figure it out. You know, uh, it's a big issue. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you right now, uh, from a monetary point of view, I'm flat broke. The the state com did what mission accomplished. Brinky Wilson, Chung, uh, their accomplices, Scott Bartlett, and and Rob French, and all these other pieces of shit out there. Mission accomplished. I am on the verge of bankruptcy, but I will still host events at my shop i did the veteran a uh, coffee with veterans yesterday i'm able to host this here i just i just keep fighting man right when i'm at my lowest point when i'm at my point of despair i remember that i have people like you my beautiful wife in my life her family that's in my life i have all these current troopers and former troopers and court service officers who i adore they're my heart, man, and they they always remind me uh, uh, that I'm that I'm important and that I'm somebody that's uh, uh, contributing still to their lives even today, man. And just remember that you're still contributing to people, man. There's some kid in Norwich right now that saw where you got to, and they want to do the same thing, man. You don't know it yet, <laughs> but you influenced someone, man. There was somebody in a. Uh, uh, there was somebody down off, off of the Lucian chain that spoke to you. You were at that basketball tournament, just hanging out in uniform, off the clock, just being a trooper, supporting them. They remember that shit. Mm -hmm. They remember that. You remember eating lunch at the schools in the village and how those little kids would look at you in awe <laughs> while they're sitting next to you? Oh, definitely, yeah. God. You know... Uh, when uh, Brinky and uh, Wilson, uh, when they, along with good old Tricky Ricky, when they seized my uniforms, it wasn't the ego of losing the uniform. It was my heart that was involved in what that uniform meant and what it represented to everybody that I had come in contact with. That was probably the only time that they were going to have hope was when they saw that uniform yeah um i can relate to you completely um my love for the alaska state trooper organization and the honor that i felt being a part of it for over two decades and a police officer for almost three um it was a vehicle that allowed me to do what i felt like was my calling um in life and um and I was honored to use 
the platform I had as a trooper, not only to try to enhance public safety and right wrongs um, within our communities, but also to provide that example that, that Lou's talking about to the younger generations. And um, and that's part one of the parts I missed the most about it. Well, now we have another platform. We have yeah. another. I need to drag you to a bunch of uh, uh, other events. But uh, I'm honored to know you. And uh, I, uh, my, my goal is for the people that are listening to this, the good people listening to this, it's still going, man. More episodes coming. For the people that hate this message, that you're pissed off that you got exposed, not going anywhere. It's still going. There's nothing you can do to stop this. It's it's already rolling. All you can do is sit back and take these licks. That's it. That's it. You're being held accountable. And I know it hurts. Welcome to my world. The problem is the truth always prevails don't don't let people don't let people convince you otherwise the truth always prevails in the end so uh man i i'm so appreciative of you is there anything you want to tell people about or anything you got going on or uh, anything you're a part or anything you want to promote uh not at this point i i, I guess it's, it's been a busy summer we um we, we just had the um, memorial for my stepfather yesterday in Kotzebue, and we've been um, uh, having family stuff go on related to that um, throughout July, um, and uh, and so it's been a pretty busy family um, summer so far. And um, now school's about to start, so um, yeah, that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Well, guys, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you. We know that you have your choice in podcast, but for some crazy reason, you've enjoyed this one. So we're going to keep the content going. We're going to keep spreading the truth. And we're going to keep honoring our heroes without capes. So thanks, guys. We appreciate you, and we'll see you the next time. Take care. Thank you. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.